0: Thank you, Pastor Wee, for leading us in those prayers. Can you hear me? Is it my mic again? Sorry. Are we good? Okay. A very good morning to you all, and a warm welcome to our guests in the midst this morning. It's great to be with you on this. Hang on, just trying to. Third Sunday of Advent. You know what I love? I love that no matter what happens each year, and lots have happened in the past few years, we always come back to the themes of hope, joy, peace, and love every end of the year. As we remember the Advent, plural, of Jesus Christ, Advent means coming. The first coming has already happened. The other we are still waiting and longing for. Now today, the, the Advent theme is peace, and we will begin our time with Scripture. But we are going to hear the words of Scripture yeah, a little differently this morning. We're going to listen to a short excerpt from Handel's Messiah. It is Christmas after all. Maybe you can. familiar with Handel's Messiah. Good. Now, so it presents, using lots of scriptural texts, the entire message of God's redemption, story of redemption. And so definitely check it out if you have not already done so. So the words you just heard from the excerpt is the well-known Christmas passage from Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 6, For unto us, not yet. (laughs) Can we go back? Yeah. So, for unto us, a child is born. To us, it's okay, we just go back to the beginning of the slide. For unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But did you know that when those words were first uttered, it was not during a concert or a Christmas play. These words were written long before they made it to our Christmas cards or a Christmas carols. See, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words during a very tumultuous time in the history of ancient Israel around 7 BC. When wars were happening all around them, and it didn't help that they were divided amongst themselves and their own kings were mostly weak, corrupt, idolatrous, and self-serving, their survival was at stake and they were afraid and anxious. And it was in that context that Isaiah prophesied that one day there will be no more war. For, because to us, a child is born, and he is the Prince of Peace. This Prince of Peace will usher into the world, as Pastor Wade prayed just now, true peace. And that is the Christmas story I want to tell today. The story about the Prince of Peace and what the comings of the Prince of Peace means for us today. Let us take a moment to pray before we continue. Gracious God, thank you that we have a story to tell. It's a wonderful thing. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you are filled with love and compassion for us. Thank you that our story it has begun, it's still going on, and that one day it will come to complete fruition in you because all your com- we will experience all your promises coming through at that time. So we thank you that you're faithful and we thank you that we are in your story. Amen. Now in those days, there was a deep longing for wars to cease Naturally, like today. So, so one would long for Isaiah's prophecy to come through, the sooner the better. But the irony is that the Prince of Peace did not arrive at a time of war. So roughly 700 years later, after many generations had passed, the child finally arrived you know, a reminder reminder to us that God's way and God's timing may not be ours. Anyway, so Luke recorded for us in the gospel the arrival of this child. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. This child was born into a time of peace what was deemed as the greatest time of peace ever. You see, for many years, the Roman Empire had no peace because there were many internal wars, but the great Caesar Augustus did what no one had been able to do before him, which was to bring peace to the whole region by uniting the whole region firmly under his rule. It was an unprecedented era of prosperity and stability. He did a lot to ensure that there was order, like getting rid of pirates in the sea, which helped commerce to expand and flourish. Now, this unrivaled peace that he brought about was known as, now, both passed away and I referenced this a few times before. Does anyone know what this peace was called? Ah, I hear whispers of Pax Romana, you are right. Roman peace. And so it was into this peaceful world the Prince of Peace came. Now was there anything left for him to do, you think? I mean, after all, Caesar Augustus seemed to have done a great job with this peace project so much so that he was honoured as the saviour of the world. So what was left for Jesus to do? Now, from the Gospels, we know that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, he was pretty occupied doing what? Healing people, um, caring for people, especially those at the bottom of the society, the outcast and speaking out for people with no power and no voice, it turns out that his idea of peace is quite different from the Roman version of peace. His idea of peace is the biblical notion of shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace, and it's something that I think we have gone over and over with you guys. It means wholeness or well-being on every level, flourishing for all. It goes beyond inner tranquility and the absence of wars. So Jesus, the Prince of Peace, was going around bringing shalom to people. Why? Because Pax Romana was no shalom. It was peace attained at a huge cost to human lives and well-being. It relied heavily on unjust taxation so that some people lived very well, but many others lived in poverty. Did you know, church, that Rome needed lots of food, many people to feed? And they made the Egyptian farmers pay taxes using their grains. The stuff that they harvested, so much so that many Egyptian children actually starved. And if anyone dared to challenge the system, they were brutally eliminated, crucified in most cases. See, so a lot of people had to be killed for this peace. Violence was met with more violence. Wrongs were swept under. And might was used to intimidate the Roman piece on your left on this table, if you can see it, falls very short of the shalom piece of Christ, the one on the right. I'll give you a moment to take a look at that. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, he came doing shalom stuff. And in the process of bringing true peace, he caused disruptions to the highly regarded Pax Romana. And he did not make people very happy at all. See the, but, but the disruption was not because Jesus used force to bring about shalom, but because when light shines in the darkness... When idols are called out, resistance from the darkness and the false gods are inevitable. The peace of Christ exposed the lies of Pax Romana. And the resistance was great. So great that they wanted to kill Jesus, the bearer of true peace. And what did the Prince of Peace do? He did not respond with violence, powerful as he was, and he did not call down fire to burn his enemies up. Instead, he gave up his life, even for those who crucified him. That was the ultimate act of the Prince of Peace, an act so foolish in the eyes of the world. But Isaiah had already prepared us for this when he describes the Prince of Peace as the wonderful counselor. What do I mean by that? Let's look at this. So throughout the first part of Isaiah, human wisdom was seen as foolishness. But the coming one, the Prince of Peace, would have wisdom like no other. And according to an Old Testament scholar, This true divine wisdom, quote, knows that in weakness is strength, in surrender, victory, and in death is life. The Prince of Peace is also described as mighty God and everlasting Father. He would have God's true might about him and abundant power. And according to many scholars, His power is so great that it could exhaust all evil. And he would also present with God's fatherhood. Now, what is God's fatherhood? God's fatherhood is understood in terms of God's sacrifices for his children. And this sacrificial fatherhood is everlasting, unlike many earthly kings who also claim fatherhood towards their subjects but the fatherhood was temporary and mostly self-serving. And these titles, and these titles, um, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, they built into the last title, the Prince of Peace, the climax of the title. They explain how the Prince of Peace would bring about peace. It would not be done through a violent squashing of defiance, but it would be done through divine wisdom, self-sacrificial love, surrender, and the laying down of great power. And that is how the Prince of Peace would pave the way for true shalom. Now with this, a new kingdom has dawned. There is a new way to live. It's the way of shalom. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 11 gives us a picture of what this new kingdom of shalom will look like when it comes in fullness one day. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The cow will feed with the bear. This passage is a symbolic representation of shalom, of what it would be like when warring nations, when diehard enemies live in peace. I love this picture. Don't you just love this picture? But we may look at this and think, how can that be possible? But what we believe to be impossible will become reality one day. And this is an important reminder for us to hold on to the certainty of God's promises, even as we live in between the two advents. When we look at what's happening in the world around us, we are more likely to imagine that World War III is on its way and be overcome by fear and apprehension. Then to take hold of the fact that the Prince of Peace has already secured a future of shalom for us. What seems impossible according to our human calculation will arrive in its full glory one day, church, and neither suffering nor death could prevent us from partaking in that glorious life. And it's also an important reminder for us as the followers of the Prince of Peace, because we are called to be shalom makers as we live in between the two advents. Shalom isn't fully here in the world. There is much brokenness everywhere, violence, damage to people and relationships, and to the environment, and so on. But we are not to sit idly by. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In Jesus, we catch a glimpse of who we are created to be. He did not come into a fairy tale world. He came into a dysfunctional world with dysfunctional people and began his work of shalom, healing and caring, extended, extending compassion and speaking into injustice and advocating for those with no voice. We are called to be like Jesus, the Holy Spirit who rests upon him to give him wisdom and understanding is also upon us. And Jesus calls us, calls you and calls me in the midst of brokenness, including our own, to be shalom makers right where we are, even as we look forward to the day when shalom fully arrives. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. As I bring this Christmas story to a close, I invite you to spend a couple of minutes in reflection as we remember the advent of the Christ child as we wait for the coming again of the risen Christ. Nations and people all strive for different versions of peace. What is your picture of peace? Where do you need the peace of Christ, his shalom in your life right now? And where are you called to be a peacemaker, a shalom creator in our Let's take a few moments.